Yeah, and working from home, you know, I should really be more pushy because having a home clinic, you know, you are starting from the ground up, or you don't have a shop front. I have been very fortunate that I have had patients that have referred me. I've had friends and family that have referred people in the local area. So I sort of have a little presence already within the local community. And I think, you know, at the moment in my first year of business, that's okay by me, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. Welcome to Acupuncture West London, the podcast. This is the podcast for students, practitioners, and enthusiasts of classical Chinese philosophy, Chinese medicine, and acupuncture. I'm your host, Ben Carrigan, coming to your ears all the way from London. So join me as we dive deep down the rabbit hole of Chinese philosophy and into the very concepts that inform our practice. Each episode focusing on a specific topic and its application within a clinical setting. This episode is brought to you courtesy of our brand new ebook, Yin and Yang. What are Yin and Yang? What are the laws of Yin and Yang? And how are they used as defining principles for our very existence? To answer these questions and more, download your free copy at acupuncture-westlondon.com forward slash free ebook. So over the last few months, I've been putting out the feelers into the acupuncture and Chinese medicine stratosphere. I wanted to find out what burning questions people have at the moment, of which there are many, and I wanted to ask what you would most like to hear. I've had a really great response, which has informed the content of many upcoming episodes, so I'd like to thank you all for that. So you may already know of Andrea Dewhurst, a third-year student from the City College of Acupuncture in London. If you don't, you're clearly not on Instagram. Her account, The Channel Project, is the hot topic for acupuncture and TCM, and she's already a powerhouse of education and inspiration within this realm. If you don't know her already, you should definitely check her out. So Andrea kindly responded to my call into the Chinese medicine wilderness, and she asked if I'd be up for doing an episode on setting up a practice. So this is what we're going to do today and in upcoming episodes. We all study acupuncture and Chinese medicine in the hope that we may develop into the greatest of practitioners but we're often underprepared for how best to establish ourselves as practitioners after graduation, or we're perplexed as to how we can take our already existing business to the next level. And this has never been more true than at the moment during these uncertain times, and particularly for recent graduates in our field who are likely already feeling daunted by the challenging journey ahead. Well, do not panic. You are not alone, and in true holistic fashion, we will all get through this together. As people, we are all unique. We all envisage our role as practitioners and our businesses or working environments differently. So we are by no means a one-size-fits-all enterprise. Whatever our situation happens to be, many of us are not hardwired as entrepreneurs by default, and there are many obstacles to overcome and pitfalls to avoid. As individuals, we all have our own strengths and weaknesses. We all need guidance in order to develop into the type of practitioner we wish to become and to manifest the type of environment we wish to work in. With this in mind, over the next couple of episodes, we'll be talking to practitioners who have recently set up businesses in various guises. We'll be discussing the various pros and cons, considerations, and potential pitfalls of the following. Setting up a practice from home. Setting up within an established clinic, as a sole trader or as an employee. And finally, setting up your own business. And what better way to do this 
than by having these conversations with people who have done this within the last year and while it's still fresh in their minds. Hence the title of this and upcoming episodes, A Year in Business. Okay, so today we're speaking with Rachel Marks, who talks us through a year in business and setting up her own practice from home. Rachel is a graduate of the International College of Oriental Medicine and a fully certified member of the British Acupuncture Council. Today, she's talking to us from Oak Ridge Acupuncture, her own home practice in Horsham, West Sussex, a purpose-built treatment room overlooking a private and peaceful garden, providing a relaxing and tranquil clinic space. Well, that does sound nice. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Hi, Ben. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to do this. Really excited to have you here. So you set up Oak Ridge Acupuncture approximately a year ago. So what I'd like to ask as my first question is, were there any defining factors that made you decide to set up a clinic from home? Um, okay, so I guess it, it really came down to um, my personal circumstances. You know, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I live in a really nice town and I've lived in the same house for a long, long time, over 20 years. And um, we had space for me to build a, a room at the back of the house to work from. And it sort of evolved, um, if you don't mind me speaking, just a little bit about um, how that worked out. Absolutely. Ten years ago, we had planning application put in for uh, an extension on the side of our house. And our architect said, oh, in for a penny, in for a pound, why don't you also apply for a, at the same time for a little extension on the back? And we were like, yeah, yeah, I don't think we need the room, but why not? Um, so we had our side extension built. And knowing that this one was still valid, this little extension and acupuncture wasn't in the forefront of my mind. I actually had another business that I was running from home at that time. So, yeah, I, it just felt like it was the right thing to do. So when I was training and we were having part of the house reconfigured again, we went for it. Great. Yeah. So that's, you know, sort of how it evolved. Previous to that, I did have a little look about uh, working in another clinic or uh, how it would work. But uh but once I knew that we could afford to do this little room, I thought, well, yeah, let's go for it. And if it doesn't work out, because I've only been in a year, um, it, it's still space that we can use for other things. So, yeah, it's all quite sort of flexible and fluid, I guess. Great. And were there any planning considerations in terms of running a business from home that had to be considered? Yeah. Now, I would say um, if you're ever considering working from home, make good friends with your local authority sure uh so i did contact the local authority and said you know i'm thinking of when i graduate of uh, running my clinic from home and they were really great with their information there's bylaws that you need to uh, abide by so um which most local authorities actually do have on their website so i found that quite easily that's good had a look through there um and yeah, there's little things like signage. You know, there are certain restrictions depending on where you live or depends on whether you can actually even advertise that you're, you've got a clinic from home. Oh, really? So I've got the tiniest, yeah, I've okay. got the tiniest, tiniest little sign um, because if I want anything bigger, I've got to apply for planning. They're also a little bit, um, little bit wary about other people using your clinic space. So if you are intending to have a clinic space that you might rent out to other practitioners, mm -hmm. they would need to maybe know about that. Of course. Also, there's factors around things like that. Even the size of your house and the clinic space, because your clinic space has to be your clinic. You can't use it for anything other than your acupuncture clinic. You know, you can't use it as a spare room 
and your acupuncture clinic has got to be dedicated to your uh, practice. So, Oh, really? That I didn't know. That's interesting. Yes. Well, for my local authority, that's the case. I'm not allowed to use it for anything other than my uh, for, for treatment. Okay. Um, so, and they take into consideration the square footage of your house. Oh, this is a bit complicated. The square footage of your house and actually how much of your house is dedicated to your treatment room. Uh, because you may, I, I don't, I don't know for sure. I, I guess it might be something to do with the rateable value and and all that sort of thing of, of more space being used for business than living accommodation and all those sorts of things. I see. Yeah. Luckily, I don't fall into that bracket because my, um, you know, as you know, Ben, you've been around to see my room. It's a I really have. tiny little room. So uh, it's so, perfect, though. It's a great but space. It is, yeah, it is perfect. But. Uh, but yes, yeah, so there's lots and lots of little things you need to consider, you know. You, um, so yeah, and also they're really interested in are you where where are your patients going to park as well, and how many people, how ah. much footfall? Because you don't want to be upsetting your neighbour if you live in a residential area, you know. That's one of the big things I wrote in red on my screen here as as being a consideration is that although you think neighbours might be open and nice to start with, they can get quite testy about Absolutely. people parking yeah. nearby in you know residential areas, particularly. Uh, particularly if uh, parking is already an issue. Yeah. Well, I, I actually have a, you know, again, I'm quite fortunate. We have a driveway and I have enough mm-hmm. parking for two cars. So when I'm approached by someone who says, you know, and they're coming for the first time, I always say, you know, there will be a parking space on my driveway for you. We don't have too much of a parking issue in our road, luckily. But even so, it's worth having that conversation with your neighbours as well. Yeah. You don't want to be getting on the wrong side of your neighbours, you know. No, of course. So just let them know what you're doing. Going back to the uh, council requirements for your local council quickly. Mm. Am I right in saying, because I recall this from doing my own research a little while ago when I was considering running a practice from home as well, that different councils may have slightly different guidelines or approach things in a different way. So it's definitely worth discussing with your own council. Yeah. That's my understanding. So I can only speak from my local authority. Uh, and like I say, they, they, uh, most local authorities do put up bylaws that's on, on the website. I found it mm-hmm. easily enough on the website about what, you know, what you can and what you can't do. Yeah, It's worth contacting your planning department. It's worth contacting the health and safety department as well, because it was the health that actually came around to assess me. So after I'd applied and told them what I was doing and you know I yeah I have to be licensed obviously by my local authority to practice so they came out and they checked me out and they checked out my clinic space as well yes and and my local authority are they I have to obviously we obviously have to have a sharps license and sharps bin yep um but I also have to have a clinical waste bin as well that's right some local authorities you don't have to I you know I I can't say for other local authorities, but I had to have a, a clinical waste bin. So for all those little cotton wool buds that you use when you're taking the needles out, they need to go mm-hmm. in your clinical waste. And um, my understanding is that some will let you, because it's such a small amount, will let you put it in with your natural waste of your household waste. But my local authority said, no, you need to have a clinical waste bin. So I have to have a, a license, well, not a license, but I have to have an agreement with a clinical waste management company. So they come away and take it away every, I think it's every three months, every quarter. So they come and dispose of it. And am I right in saying that in order to get permission from your council that you have to have a sort of a waste management contract in place and you have to show them all the documentation? Um, 
Yes, so my local authority were quite interested in who I'd got my waste management licence with. Um, They were also interested in who I had my shots wastage with. Um, Uh And I have to display that I have my licences or my licence with the local authority in my clinic room. So I have to display that they've agreed all these conditions. Okay. Um, so so yeah, it, was, it sounds really complicated. It is not as complicated as probably I'm making it sound. But yeah, do you do your research. But they guided you through a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they don't want you to fail. They want you to succeed. So, of course, you know, my when I came around today, they were happy with the floor that I'd laid. They were happy with the fact that I'd got wipeable services. It's all real common sense stuff, to be fair. Yeah, because you, know? you need a hard floor. You're not allowed carpets. Isn't that right? Not not for my local authority. I'm not allowed to carpet. I need to be able to wash it. And I even had to show him that I had a mop. OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of... Um, getting into the pros and cons of working from a home clinic yeah what do you see those as being or maybe to elaborate a little bit um the considerations of setting up a home clinic obviously there are things like initial outlays i think am i right in saying in certain places outside london you need to have a practitioner license as well as a practice license i believe so so for me with my local authority i have a a a license for my practice yeah and i have a license for me okay so if I work out of my local authority area, uh, if I work in Crawley, which is like the, I guess, our next nearest large town, which is what, about eight miles away, I would actually need to have a license with them. Okay, sure. Because it doesn't come within the Horsham District Council authority. I see. Yeah. Because I believe certain districts, you don't need to have a practitioner license within London because it's already under the guise of the British Acupuncture Council. Yeah. Makes it tricky, you know, because it can be a bit of a minefield finding out what you actually need and what you don't. Yeah. Which is why it's worth talking to your local authority. Absolutely. And if you are moving around clinics, so you have clinics in lots of different areas, it's really worth making sure that you um, have a license or that you, at least you've been in touch with them in respect of because there are other authorities uh, that just go, oh, OK, so you're doing that. That's fine. So in terms of initial outlays, we're, yeah. we're looking at a waste management contract, yeah. um, a Sharps contract, yeah. which are separate separate things. Yes, but I've got them with the same supplier. So, oh, OK. So yeah, they, they, they were very good. And again, you know, suppliers, if you phone up the waste management suppliers, they're quite good at holding hands, you know, say, I've not done this before and I'm not really sure what I need. This is what I think I need. This is what my local authority have said I need. Can you help me? And so I did have quite a bit of handholding. Because it can be really daunting, particularly for a new practitioner who's just graduated yeah. to know what steps to take. So I think the easiest yeah. thing in these situations is just pick up the phone. And uh, people can talk you through it quite quite easily. Yeah, and it might yeah. might take a little bit of time, but you know you, you can get there. Yeah, and don't ever be afraid to admit that you don't know, and just say, "Oh no, I don't know what I'm doing. I need yeah. some handholding and some help." And and even with the local authority, you know, they're 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 wanting you to succeed. They're not wanting to fail you. you know? Yeah. So. Um, so in terms of initial outlays, then you just had your waste management contract. Yeah. You have things like a bed and your needles and Mm -hmm. did you require any sort of additional insurance as such yes yes so this i would say is a really important thing you need to consider is contact your household insurance company Mm -hmm. because some household insurers won't insure you at all if you've got people coming to the house okay so it is really important that you contact them my um, household insurers are happy for me to treat but I am restricted to the number of 
patients that I can have coming through the door on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. And it's still a reasonable amount. It's not, you know, horrendously low. Yeah. It's okay for what I need at the moment. Uh, but they are, but they have restricted me. So for instance, my theft aspect of my household insurance, I'm only covered if there's forcible entry. Oh, okay. So um, so if I have a patient that decides to want to go wandering around my house, not sure how they would do that, but if they wanted to and steal something, then I wouldn't be covered. Right, okay. So I've taken that as my own risk. But to be honest, the likelihood of them doing that is highly unlikely. Yeah. Because uh, my clinic room has its own entrance. Sure. And was there a way that you decided on pricing for your patients? Did you look at local competition, um, you know, people in your area, or did you do research setting up your practice? Yeah, so, yeah, so I, had, I did, yeah, I did a little bit of snooping then. Did Nothing you? I think we all do snooping. that. Snooping's okay. <laughs> Legal snooping. And, we, um, and I think, you know, it, it's silly if you don't, to be fair. Um, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really like the word competition. That sort of like sounds like, it, you know, that it's them or us, you know. Sort it does. Of situation. I, I totally agree. Yep. Yeah. But, and I think that there's enough patients out there for us all to make a difference to somebody. So, of um, course. Uh, but yeah, I did. I did. I did some snooping. Um, so I found out who the acupuncturists were in my area and I had to look at their websites and that actually I found really useful because I also looked at from a website point of view I also looked at other uh, people that I admired not not necessarily just in acupuncture but other other disciplines as well uh, so and I had to look and see what I liked about their website what I didn't like about their website so that when I came to do my own website um, I had a few ideas about how I wanted it to look and how I wanted it to sound I think that's very important, isn't it? Because it takes, and it takes time. It's not something you can do, you know, in a month. Um, Absolutely. You know, I'm still playing around with my website a yeah, year later, too. just even changing sentences or saying that sounds a bit cold or, you know, or maybe yeah. I've changed my perspective slightly. So it's a constantly evolving or living thing almost. Yeah. And I think that's how it should be, isn't it really? I Absolutely. Guess. I do that too. I go through mine every so often just go, oh, uh, yeah, do you, mm, mm, does that mm. sound quite right? Is that reading quite right? Does that sound quite right? It's tricky with pricing though, isn't it? Because yeah. one thing um, I I feel quite strongly about is that for any graduate, it can be very easy to turn around and go, right, I haven't earned my stripes yet. Therefore, I'm going to charge on the lower side. Um, yeah. And then I think you can undervalue yourself. And once you pitch yourself at that level, it's very, very difficult to then go up even by five pounds because people will balk at it. Uh, yeah. Once you've got them in your door, you know, I'm working in clinic with a guy who's sort of become my um, my guru as such. And I just matched his prices because I felt by charging less, I was undercutting and by charging more, I was being slightly arrogant. So I just decided, right, I'm just going to do yeah. what you do. And, yeah. um, you know, and so I probably put in twice the work trying to uh, look at all my patients and, and trying to research what I want to do with them because he has 35 years on me. Yeah. So yeah. he'll just go in and take the pulse and go, right, this is what we're doing. I think it's important to back yourself with pricing. Yeah. So I did quite a lot. I said, I did quite a lot of snooping as to pricing on other people's websites. And <laughs> I, I totally agree. You know, don't undervalue yourself. You spent three years. Well, that's it. Learning your craft. Mm. And I know it's a lifelong learning thing. Yeah. But three years is still a huge amount of information. It's still a huge amount that you know. And sometimes I, I don't think when you first graduate, you credit yourself for you think, oh, I still don't know anything. But actually, you know a huge amount of things. And we all know different things as well, because I find that, 
you know, if you say something to me, I'll go, God, you know, Rachel really uh, is way ahead of me or whatever, or knows a lot more. <laughs> but the fact is that when you kind of zoom back a little bit, you can see I'll know stuff that you don't and you'll Absolutely. know stuff that I don't. We all have our strengths and the things that we need to work on. I don't want to call them weaknesses, but um, but it, it's so important to recognize that. And also, also, I just wonder if there's, as a new graduate, you know, stuff is quite fresh and you are also in that mindset still of wanting to explore things. Yeah, I'm just assuming that when you've been in practice for quite a while, that I know you've still got to do your CPD and it's a lifelong thing, but maybe not that you become blasé, but you, you just don't credit yourself for that so much. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. You know, that maybe you just go, oh, yeah, I've, I've actually treated, I don't know, loads of people with neck pain therefore I don't actually really need to look at that so much mm. yeah so going back to pricing yes I did snoop <laughs> I had a little look and in my area I'm not the cheapest yeah and I'm certainly not the most expensive either yeah um, I would say that I'm probably middling ground we're looking at the Goldilocks and three bears of pricing where there's uh, too hot too cold and just yeah. right yeah and I did also think like you said you know it's really difficult to raise your prices once you have set a price. So um, I think it's much easier to sort of like set yourself a little bit higher and then come down than it is to go up. Yeah. We worked out from like to pay for my extension, my husband, Paul, he worked out that I had to do 500 treatments. Oh, really? <laughs> so once I've done 500 treatments, it's paid for itself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, that sounds, yeah, that, that just sounds stressful to me. <laughs> I'm not, I've, I've never been very good at doing my numbers like that, you know. Well, you know, as you know, Ben, he's, he's an engineer and he's a mathematician. Yeah, so, you know, those sorts of things, you know, sit quite well with him, I guess. But I'm yeah, sure he's yeah, probably yeah. got a spreadsheet actually with it on. So, yeah, Rachel's done another 10 treatments, you know, this week. That's saying good. Yeah, that's another 10 off the list. Well, we all need um, someone like that in our life as well, don't we? <laughs> so moving on to... um. Uh, your patients how did yeah. you build a network of referrals where did you find most of your patients came from okay so working from home I will say that this actually can be a little disadvantage if you're going into an already established clinic there was already a presence in your community mm -hmm. so so for those that are already you know in another practice you know I think that that's a huge advantage Whereas having your own practice and starting literally from the ground upwards, you have to work really, really hard. But I would say that for me, what's worked for me is that network, network, network. Have some good networking groups, whether that's um, with fellow therapists. So I, mm -hmm. I have networking groups of, of fellow therapists, so um, osteopaths and uh, kinesiologists. Oh, really? Okay. Physiotherapists, um, Reiki healers. So all sorts. That's great. Uh, you know, I've tapped into sort of like some little networks. Um, and I was doing that before I graduated. So already, I guess you attract people like yourself. So already I was attracting therapists as friends. Mm. So, um, yeah, and I do have a referral, sort of a referral system with a couple of osteopaths that actually live really locally or work really locally to where I am. So I have had some referrals from them. And likewise, you know, if I think someone would benefit from, from some additional treatment with an osteopath, then I would refer back, you know, that's what networking's about. It's not just about taking. Yeah. You have to put in much more, give out much more than maybe you receive in. Networking groups uh, exist in various guises, don't they? There's uh, yeah. there's things like Meetup, I think, but then there's other ones that are, you know, there's free ones and there's paid versions and there's, 
regional groups for acupuncturists and also yeah i mean there's like the small business federation um uh what's that the federation of small businesses um okay there's there's all sorts which actually have like some annual subscriptions i don't subscribe to them because i i feel like i've lucked out actually because i do belong to a networking group that actually is in my uh local sports gym up the road um that's great and they are all of local businesses. So, and I am the only acupuncturist there, but there are a couple of hypnotherapists. There's um, solicitors that come. There are web designers. There are photographers, videographers. There are a copywriter. There's accountants. So I feel really fortunate that I've found this little group and they're all local businesses that I can tap into. I go on a Wednesday, Thursday morning for a coffee before COVID. Um, yeah. And it's just really nice. You spend 30 seconds pitching yourself. We go around and it's a really friendly space. It's very welcoming and inclusive. I've done a couple of presentations for them, so which is really great because then people get to know who you are because and what you do. And so, yeah, so I've had referrals from them. And I've also referred people to, you know, oh, I know copywriter would be able to help you with your wording for your website. Oh, I know a web designer. Oh, da, 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 da. I may not have used them myself, but I can recommend people. So it's... It's so underestimated though, isn't it? It's something I've yeah. heard people talk about these networking groups more recently, but you know, uh, it can be so easy to overlook and to just kind of go, oh, I'm going to concentrate on my website, my SEO and trying to do all this stuff. Yeah. But yeah. A, a networking group is really so powerful. And even amongst acupuncturists, like you were saying earlier about the word competition, you know, I work in Southfields in London, which is quite a few acupuncturists and different clinics in the area. But I have found, you know, um, if I'm away or if I'm not able to see someone or talk to them online, I'd refer to another acupuncturist. There can be that sort of sense of, oh, no, I want to keep them within my realm because otherwise I'll lose them as a patient or whatever. But I think it's important to just pass people over and to get to know people in your area so that you can build a level of trust I totally um, because agree. they do pass people back to you you know because once there's that friendship and you've yeah. reached out to them they know you're on the level and you're not going to you know steal their patience or whatever uh, i mean most people are pretty pretty good when it comes down to it you know uh, absolutely yeah 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 get in contact with people in your local area you know that uh, i'm in touch with two or three local acupuncturists that i would um you know i'd be happy to refer to in September, mm. I did a holistic fair in our town, which actually was set up by my yoga teacher. Oh, right. And um, and I was the only acupuncturist there, but there was also a, um, a herbalist there and lots and lots of um, other like-minded people. And um, I have sort of what I think of as three networking groups. So I have those that I, you know, like other businesses that can help me and I can help them. Because, you know, we aren't experts and I'm certainly not an expert on websites and you know, anything technical, as you know. <laughs> and um, so I can easily sort of go, oh, I don't really understand this. Can you help me? Um, and then I have another little network of like minded people. And then I have another network, which is my acupuncture solid crew that I think of, um, you know, that that you can then really get to the nitty gritty of I'm having a problem with this patient and I don't really know what to do and I've tried this and I've tried that and these are the symptoms and these are the, you know, these are the patterns that I'm seeing and, you know, this is what I've diagnosed them as. Uh, I think, yeah, it's really good to have lots of little little networks of people. And I like that face-to-face type networking as well. Yeah. where I can see somebody and talk to them. It's much better than, you know, online 
I'm not really good with the online forums, I will say. I couldn't agree more. I mean, this whole, you know, at the, at the moment, obviously, everyone's doing Zoom meetings and whatnot. And I just find them exhausting. You know, yeah. they really zap my energy. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm kind of good in smaller groups uh, where I yeah. can talk to people, maybe on a more individual basis. But yeah. as soon as I'm in a group of three or more, I just, I just, it wears me out and I have to go home on my own and recharge, yeah. you know, and, and those <laughs> online groups, because we've done them amongst our kind of, a, you know, a peer group. Yeah. And I just find that, you know, it's so easy to just sit there in silence and absorb information and not, because it just feels so removed, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, maybe it's a bit like my dad trying to work a DVD player 15 years ago, but, you know, I just can't <laughs> quite get on board with it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, don't mock us that can't work DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, I retract my statement. So let's move on to technology then. Maybe it would be a good thing to uh, touch on. Um, yeah. Because obviously being in London where I'm based in Southfields, it's quite competitive to use that word again. Uh, with a lot of people around so obviously mm -hmm. everyone's obsessed with your seo and uh which is search engine optimization yeah. um and you know google advertising and mm -hmm. all this sort of thing and how to get yourself up the rankings by doing all sorts uh backlinks particularly to your website which is where let's say you get a high ranking website and you get a link back to your own website from them which ups your your value i suppose um I have done lots of Google advertising and I've tried to work on all these things um, with mixed results, but how have you found it or what have you done that you feel may have worked or not worked? Okay. So I'm going to go back to my networking. Networking is a slow burn. Yeah. Um, because I think they say, was it, you got to know someone, then you got to like them and then you got to trust them mm -hmm. to then start referring them. So I think it's really important and that's a slow burn. And, and, you know, and I, I, I like the way in which my particular one is run. It's, quite low key and it's you know it's it's great so um in respect of advertising well i will honestly say ben i am the cheapskate of cheapskates i don't spend hardly <laughs> any money uh, you know after coming out of university i had you know my bank account was zero for setting up my business so i've actually done my own website again making those personal connections were much more lucrative than just scattergunning stuff out there Mm -hmm. Printed publications didn't work for me, so I, I don't do any printed publications advertising. I don't think that works. My understanding of that is that you have to keep doing it so that it gets into someone's psyche that they read the same magazine over and over and over and over again and see you in the same place over and over and over again for then for you to get any benefit. Yeah. I don't, it didn't work for me, my previous, so I, I've decided that I wouldn't do that. Um, I did do some Google AdWords, and again, I had a very small budget, so I pretty much set it at the minimum level. Um, and I will say that that actually was quite successful for me. That's where I okay. quite a lot. I, I don't know about you, whether you found Google AdWords was actually successful for you. I didn't actually. Um, oh, firstly, to go back to what you were saying about written stuff, uh, written publications. When I first set up my clinic, I did a lot of leaflets and found them to be a total waste of money yeah. um, because... They're outdated as soon as you've printed them because you'll probably decide to change your prices or slightly change your services or your days, your hours, and it's just money down the drain. So I just wouldn't even bother having learned that lesson. Uh, Google Advertising and Microsoft, I did a lot of advertising through them. And actually, at one point, I was spending probably a few hundred pounds a month 
because I was wow, trying to yeah. build up my SEO. I think at one point I was spending maybe 250 pounds a month, which is a lot yeah. of money, yeah. all with the kind of, oh, I have to work in my SEO and I have to get my rankings up. And really the return I, I saw back was really not very good at all. Um, and I was looking at some social media guru or whatever you want to call them recently. And they were basically saying that if you start off with a small budget, Google or Facebook will focus that budget on the people that count most. But if you increase that budget, you're not just getting out to more people. The ads will just start being sent out to people who are less likely to click on the link. So yeah. if you're not getting a result from a small budget, you're going to get even less of a result with a larger budget. So you can't just dump more money into it and expect it to work. That, I think, was the biggest lesson for me, that if yeah. it's not working on a small scale, if anything's not working on a small scale, it's not going to work on a bigger scale. And any little things that don't work on a smaller scale, they're just going to become like little pebbles or whatever um, in your shoe at a small yeah. scale. They're just going to become huge rocks as you try and expand yeah. it. I, I totally agree. That probably is the biggest lesson I've learned in any context from yeah. um, whether it's a website or a booking form or something, a glitch on you know something not working. As soon as you just start to expand, these things become exponentially a, a greater problem. And I found that particularly yeah. with advertising. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say I, I did some Google AdWords and I had very minimum. And I will say that I did have some success with that. Good. Um, uh, That's great. So, yeah. Uh, and I've been really fortunate that some of my lovely patients have written some reviews for me on Google. And they've, um, you know, you know, I have been really fortunate that they've been happy to write some testimonials for me um, in other platforms. And I've done a lot of those free online, you know, like yell.com and Yes. And did you those. set those up yourself or did yeah. you, um, you did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if I can do it, anyone can do it, Ben, you know, <laughs> if I can go and go, oh, yell.com to how much do I have to pay yell.com? Oh, actually I can do this as a free thing. Yeah. So I'm all up for the free things. And I, and I, I sound right cheap steaks. I literally had zero budget. So what little, yeah. little I had, I really had to spend very carefully. And when, uh, yeah, Google AdWords, I started doing that around about September, October time, and it did really help me through September, October, November, December, January. February, it started to drop off a little bit. And February, actually, um, the amount of patients I was getting actually dropped as well. Hmm. And then, well, March, you know, well, March has just been a disaster and onwards for, for all of us, hasn't it? So, um, of course, and then yeah. I just withdrew my advertising and went, okay. Yeah. I mean, that SEO stuff is just a massive hole of, oh, you know, I just don't understand it. I, I try really hard to understand it. And it's constantly, the rules seem to be changing. Yeah. I don't like that in my sort of very metallic way. I know. It, it is exhausting. And it's that thing where, you know, that you'll have people constantly offering, we'll help you with your SEO. Yeah. And there really aren't any shortcuts. And if there are shortcuts that work, they'll work in the short term. It'll cost yeah. you in the long run. Yeah. So there really aren't any um, shortcuts to, to this thing, really. And that's why I say get a really good networking of other businesses or local mm. businesses, because it's then it's that, uh, you know, a, uh, no like trust thing because you're going to be in that bracket as well you know you'll meet somebody you think oh god they're quite interesting what they do yeah you know, um, it already on my in my head I already have a list of people that I will go to when I've got enough money in my budget to be able to step my website up into another gear or step my advertising into another gear or my SEOs or whatever it is that I decide I've already got a list of people that I know that I can go to that I like and trust to say okay, this is my budget. 
what can you do for me? But I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm like, I'm not very good on social media either. <laughs> I know mean, it's just yeah. it's, oh, <laughs> social media is another mind. I've got a Facebook page. I don't do Instagram. Don't understand it really. Um, I, I know, uh, and I, I know I should. I'm, I have, I have young adults in the house that can help me with all of this. I should really look <laughs> into their knowledge. I was going to say Facebook. I have had a little bit of interest through. Um, yeah, Instagram, I haven't got an account. Mm. I quite like LinkedIn, but then that's a very businessy thing. I think it goes back to my businessy sort of head, actually. Yeah. And again, it's another thing that you've got to manage. <laughs> it like, is, oh. and it's very time consuming. You know, I, I work quite hard on the social media aspect of things, but it's not because I like it. It's um, it's because I've been trying very, very hard over the last 12 months to build up uh, an <laughs> online presence and the SEO thing. Um, and also because uh, as a, a person, I'm quite metal or metallic. So I, I quite like to <laughs> be in control of stuff and to feel that I'm moving forward. But yeah. it is exhausting. And also, I just don't think it's healthy because I think social media, you know, I know with my own personality being metallic, I can be quite not obsessive, but it's something you're doing multiple times a day or you're replying to people. And at some point, I'd love to just be able to switch it all off. Um, but at the moment, I just feel it's helping give me a presence. Sure. You know, yeah. and it's kind of a means yeah. to an end. Um, but it just seems very narcissistic, you know, when you're posting constantly <laughs> it about does. yourself. It, it does. And also, I'm always constantly trying to put myself in the shoes of my patients. So I'm always thinking to myself, as a person, if I was bombarded with this constantly, would it make me more inclined to go to that person? Personally, if I'm bombarded with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff, I just go, oh, no, switch off. Whereas, you know, if, if there's a trickle of stuff, and I will say, you know, I've not really put very much out on my Facebook and I've not done anything for weeks and I know I'm, I really should. But of course, you know, I want it to be relevant and I don't want it just to be noise. Yeah. There's a lot of noise out there. There is a lot of noise out there. There are times where I feel like I'm making too much noise, particularly when I was building up to releasing this podcast. I was trying to sort of follow a launch program and I, I felt like it was just a bit much. Do you know what I mean? For me and probably for everybody else. <laughs> well, actually, that's quite interesting because, as you know, I, I follow you, Ben, and um, I didn't actually find it overwhelming. And I don't know whether that's because already I have a personal relationship with you or whether, yeah. you know, if you were any other acupuncturist, I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. But uh, uh, but. Me being the person that always goes, oh, no, that's too much. I didn't actually <laughs> well, find good it to too know. much. <laughs> but maybe you can be my personal uh, litmus test or whatever moving forward. You can tell me <laughs> when I'm too much, just send me an email. I'll pull everything back a bit. <laughs> but but, but, but there's, like you say, there's no right or wrong way about it. And it's just really, mm. I, I think it's just down to personal comfort, isn't it? I know where it my really comfort is. zone is. I think that's important. Everyone has to remain authentic, you know, yeah. and I, I feel with the my social media stuff i've probably been maybe not as authentic as i'd 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 like to be because i've been trying to build a profile you know my my natural instinct would be to just um you know sit back and read books about chinese medicine or go out and do other stuff but you know it's just a means to an end really yeah um yeah i'm working from home you know i don't actually you know i i should really be more pushy because having a home clinic you you are starting from the ground up you don't have a shop front that people see as they go yeah to work every day and go oh go past the clinic and see it um yeah or so yeah i should really probably be a lot more vocal and a lot more out there than i am 
But saying that, you know, I have been very fortunate that I have had patients that have referred me. I've had friends and family that have referred people in the local area. So I sort of have a little presence already within the local community. And I think, you know, at the moment in my first year of business, that's okay by me. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. Well, I think we have to have sort of a realistic expectations particularly for our first year in business oh gosh yeah um i mean i can say for myself that i'm not particularly business minded i've never been great with anything to do with sort of mathematics or spreadsheets as much as i love a spreadsheet (laughs) um but it's a steep learning curve being in business and trying to work out projections or whatever you know i just kind of try and point myself in a direction and do things the way i want to do them but i've never been good at going right this is what i'm going to do by the end of my first year yeah, setting projections of how much I'm going to earn, how many patients I'm going to have. I think being realistic is actually is really important. Yeah, it really is. Be realistic, be authentic and and actually give things a go because without trying them, you're not going to know. Yeah. Because what works for me doesn't work for other people and what works for you doesn't work for me. And by, by not trying anything at all, you're, you know, nothing's going to happen, because, especially from a home clinic, because, of course, you know, you don't have any, pre- you have to have a presence somewhere. You do. And the thing that we all have to remember is that, you know, I've worked very hard on building up my website, like we were just talking about the social media stuff, and you're kind of projecting what you want people to see. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's your shop window, basically. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your shop window is your shop window, and it's very yeah. easy to compare yourself to other people's shop windows, but that's just what they want you to see. So you really have to use that as a, a basic guideline. And when you're talking about pricing, maybe you can kind of go, okay, well, my local practitioners are charging this much so i can get a gauge of where i would need to be but in terms of your own business you really need to just find your own level yeah it's very important yeah yeah and i think you have to be true to your own values and true to what feels what feels right because you know trying to trying to stuff the goose is just doesn't in in my head just doesn't work you know you just gotta let things sometimes evolve and just be patient So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you to Rachel Marks for joining me today. Stay tuned for part two of my interview with Rachel, which is also available now as episode five. In the meantime, if you'd like to learn more about Rachel and her Horsham-based home clinic, Oak Ridge Acupuncture, check out oakridge-acupuncture.co.uk. For questions about today's episode, I'd love to hear from you, so get in touch. Podcast at acupuncture-westlondon.com finally don't forget to check out the show notes at acupuncture-westlondon.com forward slash podcast thank you for listening don't forget to subscribe rate and review to keep up to date with all of our upcoming episodes sign up to our podcast newsletter by doing so you'll get your very own copy of my brand new ebook yin and yang check out acupuncture-westlondon.com forward slash free ebook See you next time.